All right, welcome in everyone to another episode of That's Bingo Sports Podcast. I am Joe Hendry. I'm joined once again by my co-host Jacob Beach and Kyle Eggers. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing today? Happy Thanksgiving Eve, everyone. It's good to be Happy here. Thanksgiving Eve. Happy Absolutely. Turkey Day. Excited for all the football this weekend. It's pretty turkey day. Well. It's gonna be a fun time. You guys got a you guys got a, a turkey turkey bowl happening close to you guys tomorrow. My parents are vegetarian, so we will have you having a, a tofu bowl. <laughs> so no, that, that sounds awful. Oh man, I will be participating in a turkey bowl tomorrow and trying not to hurt myself. So there's that. But yeah, looking so forward sad. to it. Beach will have no hamstring by the end of tomorrow. No hamstring, no quad. I will have no ten problem. catches for twelve yards. <laughs> Two catches for twelve yards. Dump off hey, faster. That's eleven points. I'd start you in my flex. Yeah, that's a P- that's a PPR Beach. god right there. I was going to say for saying Beach is the anti PPR fantasy people's worst nightmare. <laughs> I would that's be good. unplayable. <laughs> um, boys, a quick quick note. I think I think uh, we could see a U of A number one ranking here potentially. You know, there's a quick few things note. that have to happen, right? Quick Produ- note. <laughs> Produce playing Marquette. <laughs> Produce playing Marquette as we speak. Um, if Purdue goes down, plus the Kansas loss, I mean, they got ruined this past week. Um, and if U of, a, U of A beats Michigan State tomorrow, which we will, um, we're, we could be looking at the number one ranked Arizona Wildcats. All right, go Cats! So the national championship trophy is coming to McHale. Oh boy, <laughs> that's crazy. ready to overreact. Yeah. Just ready to overreact. I have Beaches. to go knock on wood. Hold on. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. You guys ready to get into into today's pod? Let's get this right. Let's do it. Folks, as we all know, it is Thanksgiving week. So we wanted to take a a little bit of time here and just uh, kind of talk about some things that we are thankful for in the world of sports. So I'm going to let Kyle kick us off with that. Uh, Kyle, who are Mm. you thankful for? What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for so many things, honestly. I have a couple. Um... I'm thankful for Todd Gurley. I'm thankful for Marshall Falk. But one that comes to mind, very underrated um, in Rams lore, I am thankful for Rodney Harrison. Why Rodney Harrison, you say? Why? Why? Why Rodney Harrison? Is that what you said, Beach? That's what I said. I'm thankful for Rodney Harrison because in the preseason of – 2000, 1999, 2000, Rodney Harrison dove into the back of Trent Green's knee, mm. ushering in the Kurt Warner era. <laughs> That's great for me and Beach. Oh, um, we love Kurt Warner. It's actually insane. Like, that story is insane. Like, I will never get over Kurt Warner's story. He should not have been in the NFL, and then he was the MVP, Super Bowl champ, Arizona Cardinals, greatest player of all time. And that's, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, that's one off the top of my head. Beach, Beach, you have one while I noodle. Yeah. So uh, my, I mean, just like Kyle said, there's so many things to be thankful for. I'm going to take a little bit of a different route. I am oh, thankful no. for Baxter Holmes. Huh? Who is Ooh. Baxter Holmes? <laughs> you all may be asking. <laughs> Baxter Holmes famously wrote the famously? hit piece on Robert Sarver 
that ultimately led to the NBA investigation that ultimately got him removed from the Phoenix Suns. Uh, well, I don't want to say removed, but eventually led for him to sell the team to our new owner, Matt Ishbia, who already is probably the second greatest owner in Arizona sports history. Oh, what he a is bingo. single-handedly returning the Phoenix Suns back to prominence, and this would not have been possible unless Baxter Holmes wrote his incredible article on ESPN uh, just detailing all the horrible things that Robert Sarver did. So if you guys ever get a chance, go read that. I mean, he put so much time and effort into it, and it was a really, really great article. Um, but, yeah, that is who I am thankful for because without him and that wonderful piece of literature – uh, we would not be here today with Matt Ishbia, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker leading the Phoenix Suns. Can we oh can we hook him up for just a couple hours to talk to the Spanos family and just see what he can cook up from there? You should try any. I mean, anything. He he did a great job of basically ringing Robert Robert Sarver's name, just dragging it through the mud. I'm sure he could dig up all sorts of dirt on the Spanos family and get them out of out of LA. Beach, I think I'm going to get you for your wedding present. I'm going to hmm. get you a signed article by Baxter Home. <laughs> I I am so in. We should just get him another jersey, dude. Just a Suns jersey for Baxter Holmes, like yeah, like our Strafolsky jersey. Strafolsky. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. The greatest greatest of all time. Wow, um, that's boys, good. I I have someone that I'm thankful for. I am thankful. For Dr. David S. Gazaniga. I already know who this is. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) He is the doctor who punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung (laughs) before game two of the 2020 NFL season, ushering the Justin Herbert era. What a wild time that was. Um, That is unbelievable. I Joe am very thankful for that man's downfall. No, I am so thankful for Tyra Taylor. I am so thankful to his contributions. Clearly you're not. He is 1-0 as a starter. He he is 1-0 against Joe Burrow as a charger. Um, but Mr. Uh, Mr. Fella there that punctured his lung, very thankful for you, sir. Can can we just talk about who Joe wanted in the 2020 NFL draft? No, we don't need to talk about that. No, can we? We're going to bring this up because you're thankful okay. for the doctor that got the guy you I have am. now. Let's talk about it, Beach. So I famously remember talking to Joe before that 2020 draft, and he was adamant that he did not want the Chargers to take Justin Herbert. He thought Justin Herbert was going to be a bust. Oh, and my. he wanted the Chargers to take Isaiah Simmons mm-hmm. <gasps> at number six overall. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, obviously, it is nowhere near as good as Justin Herbert. So that is one of the biggest L's I've ever seen Joe take. It, um, it was. I will say, Justin Herbert succeeding, guys like CJ Stroud succeeding. I mean, even Josh Allen and Anthony Richardson have made me rethink the entire way I want to see a quarterback. And now I just want all the physical tools. Mm. So I was wrong, and I'm more than willing to admit that. Um, but yes, I, have I wanted more. Isaiah Simmons. I have Talk one more. Kyle. All of you will appreciate this. I am thankful for Shabazz Napier. Ooh. Joe. Okay. Joe, Ooh. Do, you, do you know who Shabazz Napier is? Yes, I know who Shabazz Napier is. Good, good. 
Not only was he a college basketball legend, not an NBA legend, unfortunately, but the reason why I'm thankful for Shabazz Napier is some of you may remember um, Shabazz Napier was taking money from somebody and he essentially said, I was taking this money so that I could eat, right? This started a whole like discussion on NIL. Well, you know, is should this be allowed? Should college players be paid? The whole back and forth for like a decade, it feels like. And now we're getting NCAA games back next year, allegedly. I'll be leaving the list. Allegedly. But if Shabazz Napier doesn't get hungry, we don't have NCAA football. I got another one, boys. If that's all good, it's not. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Well, no. too bad. I'm gonna say it anyway. I'm thankful for Bartolo Colon and his oh, gosh. huge power bat that came out against James Shields. What? Because oh, that was the trade. That no, that was the home run that sent James Shields to the Chicago White Sox in return for Eric Johnson and Fernando Tatis Jr. Thank you, Bartolo Colon, the big sexy. Wow. That, I'm that is something. I'm angry that I just listened to that. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that is certainly something. Thank you, Bartolo. Beach, you got any more? Let me think. I think the only other one that, that's really coming to mind at the moment um, is just shout out to the whole ordeal with the – San Diego Chargers way back when in 2003 with uh, Eli Manning and that whole draft <laughs> that <laughs> led Larry Fitzgerald to fall to number three and the Cardinals to end up with their franchise's actual best player, not named Kurt Warner. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, shout out to that whole mishap. But, uh, yeah, love me some Larry Fitzgerald. Miss him in a Cardinals uniform. The Larry goat. Fitzgerald. Gerald Fitzlarry. Yes. Gerald Fitzlarry. <laughs> I'm also thankful for Ray Kroc, who oh back in 1974 bought the Padres um, after we were sold to a man who was going to move us to Washington. The sale was announced, and then he just backed out at the last minute. I mean, Is like, Ray Kroc the McDonald's guy? Like that. Uh, I don't know. Is he? I think he's the guy that know. the founder is based off of. Yeah, he's the Maybe. CEO of McDonald's. So McDon- yeah, you well, should be thankful yeah. for McDonald's. I'm thankful for McDonald's because they kept <laughs> my Padres in San Diego. Wow. Um, Another reason to not eat McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, Kyle, did you guys get any more? I'm good. Those are those go are some for- really good ones, though. Those yeah, I could good. go forever. I could go forever. But yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. 100%. There are so many people that we're thankful for. But. All right, well, uh, well, we're going to dive into some NBA basketball here. Before we, before we get into a question that I have for you guys, though, I want to know uh, what you guys' thoughts on the uh, in-season tournament is. How's that been? Just the whole experience um, as uh, our NBA experts here. What's the in-season tournament been like? I think it's a cool idea. I just don't think it's gotten traction partially because it's like you kind of have to keep up with a lot. Um but like I think it's cool. Like I think it's it's cool just seeing the league try new things. I I think we're probably not going to really be able to even say anything about it for the next couple of years until like we see what it's like next year and the year after that. But I think it's fine. Like 
the like soccer does the same thing. So I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. Beach, what do you think? As a fan who's like watching some of these games, like I'm paying attention to other like early season NBA games and like checking the scores and like seeing, you know, what the point differential is. And I mean, I think I can speak for anyone that's interested in this tournament. We were never doing that, you know, in previous that's years fair. just because you're not going to check. Like I remember last night I'm, I'm watching the Suns play the Trailblazers and then I'm like, oh, what's the score of the Lakers jazz game? Cause I want to see, uh, at that point is like, if the Lakers win, they're automatically in, they win the group. But if they lose, you know, then we're still, you know, fighting for that, that one seed in our group. But mm-hmm. then, you know, we found out the Lakers were going to win. So then it's like, okay, well, how do we get our point differential up? Um, and so something that was interesting that was happening in the game last night, the Suns had like a 15, 17 point lead, like late in the fourth quarter. Um, and they actually kept their starters in until about two minutes left to try to mm-hmm. run up that point differential. Um, and Chauncey Billups, Portland's head coach, was kind of upset about it because he didn't even he didn't understand the rule or, or the reasoning behind it. But the Suns were trying to get a higher point differential just so they could have a chance to even get to the the last eight teams in Vegas. So, from a fan perspective, I think it's been successful so far, and it's going to continue to grow as fans become more familiar with the rules, and then as players continue to to you know play in these games. So, I think it's been a, a win overall. Yeah, that Love that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I'm curious to know if they'll keep the uh, the wild courts and uniforms and whatnot. That might be the one thing I'm just like, I think they overdid the courts. I I love the idea because it is cool when you turn on a game and you're like, oh, there's a bright red court staring at me. You do know it's an in-season tournament game. But I feel like they, there's a better way to do that without making it so obnoxious. Um, but mm. I don't know. I, I think it's it's still a pretty cool thing. You know what they should bring back, and maybe they could do the same thing with like the in-season tournaments. But do you remember like the mid early, like early to mid two thousands when you'd be playing in the finals and they'd have the, the trophy on the court? Like I thought yeah. that that, mm-hmm. that was yeah. super. And that's sick. what that's That'd what they cool. have now. Each court has the in-season tournament trophy behind like their logo or whatever. But they didn't and have so, it like, in neon green. Y- yes, <laughs> that is the only thing. Yeah, yeah. But the but the logos on the court, so like. They could even just make it to where, like the baselines and the sidelines are those crazy colors, those vibrant things, and the you know the, the the keys are vibrant as well with those crazy colors. And then they have that logo at center court that's got the trophy, and then the team city edition logo in there as well. I yeah. think that would work really well without being you know some crazy red or purple or whatever neon green court that they can think of. Yeah, no hundred percent. Um. Cool. Well, uh, moving on. Next thing there. How about that? Uh, how about that? The Andre Eden revenge game. Come on, baby. Let's, let's let's talk about the Suns Suns Blazers a little bit, man. Was, the Nerdster uh... class. Yes. <laughs> uh, that was the most DeAndre Eden game I've ever seen. And what I mean by that <laughs> is that he comes out on fire. He had I want to say like twelve and six in the first quarter, something like yeah. that. Was playing really hard on both ends. Looked good. And then he finishes the game with like 18 points and eight rebounds. And he was a minus 33 on the night. Ooh. And I don't want, I like plus minus, like it's not the be all end all stat, but like in a, a 13 point game, when you're a minus 33, that says something. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it, it was just the DeAndre Ayton that we saw all those years in Phoenix. And now 
I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and that Scoot Henderson and Anthony Simons aren't playing. Like, that will help him a lot. But I think we're just seeing how much Chris Paul really elevated him because his stats are just – they're a marginal NBA center. Like, he's averaging about the same as Nurkic's uh, season stats so far, and he's getting paid twice as much. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't want to say last night was a definitive win, but when you look at it, Nurkic had better stats than him last night, and then you – throw in the fact that we also have Nasir Little and Grayson Allen from that trade. It's hard to say that, you know, the Suns didn't come out on the on the winning side of that in terms of the the Blazers and Suns uh trade. Beach, what'd you think of what'd you think of Book's comments to him after the game? Like did you see what he said? Yeah, I saw what he said. And, you know, for those who didn't see what he said or, you know, maybe are just, you know, listening to this, Devin Booker basically said, you know, I think DeAndre Ayton came out and he was playing harder. And uh, my only challenge to him is just to do that all the time. And, I, you know, I, you can take that however you want to take that. I don't think it was necessarily a shot at DA. Um, I think he was just saying, like, look, like, that's what I always wanted to see out of him. Like, when he would play that hard, like, he would do so many great things, but he doesn't always play that hard. And, frankly, if he did always play that hard, he would still be in Phoenix and he would still be that max level center. And so I don't think I had any issue with what Devin said, and I truly think he was just saying, like, look, this is how it is with him. Like when he plays hard, he's one of the best centers in the NBA, but when he kind of is taking a night off or isn't being aggressive and, you know, really trying to make things happen, then he's kind of forgettable. Yeah. It's crazy how much motor like actually matters, especially in the modern center position. Like nobody really talks about it, but just like having the motor and the consistency to be, a top 10 center in the league is something that he could have just like turned on if he just decided to every night, but he just did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd, I'd go a step farther than that and say, if he just had a motor, he'd be a top five center. And frankly, yeah, I, I think he think could get up to top take. three behind yeah. just Jokic and Embiid. Like physically he has all of the talent, all of the tools to do that, but his mentality and his desire to do that just, Hasn't been there. And frankly, that was the biggest knock on him at Arizona. Like you look at his, uh, you know, negative draft readings and it was the same thing. Like there were times when he wouldn't play hard. There were times when he wouldn't give maximum effort. And the same thing has plagued him in the NBA. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you you guys are spot on. I'm still rooting for him. I want to see him succeed, but it was clear that it wasn't going to be in Phoenix. And so I think, you know, like I said, you know, on our first podcast when we talked about it, it was best for both sides to move on. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. All right. Well, fellas, I got, I got a question for you guys. Um, be, be a long one. We'll have a good discussion off of this one, but um, so I have, t- I have 10 players, 10 guards. They're all pretty Ooh. young. All right. The NBA is, uh, it's been pretty fun. Actually it might be 11. Let me double check. Two, three, four, five, six. 11. I have 11 guards. I want, I wanted to add one more in there, but um 11 guards for you guys to rank. All right. So you guys should see them right there. Let's do that. Talk to me. Let's, let's rank these 11 guards. One to 11, which ones, uh, which ones are the best. Okay. Um, I'm throwing this in the chat real quick. Just a uh, heads up for you guys. Go for it. That way we can look at them. Cause like you said, there's 11 of them. Mm-hmm. So the 11 guards, just to let people know, we got Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Shea Gilgus Alexander, De'Aaron Fox, Darius Garland, Tyrese Maxey, Lamelo Ball, Cade Cunningham, John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Cam Thomas. So let's talk through this one through eleven. Let's rank them. 
What do you guys think? Do you, real quick, do you want to rank them just straight 1 through 11, or do you want to do, like, a tier thing? Let's do 1 through 11. All right. Oh, that's tough. Well, um, I'm should gonna, we start with the 1? Uh, do you want me to go first, Kyle? Yeah, you give me your 1. Uh, yeah, we can just do this together, I guess. My 1, I'm going to say, is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Wow. And wow. I think it's just because of the body of work. I like that. I was between him and right, Anthony Edwards. Shea for Beach. Yeah, Anthony Edwards is my number two. All right. I think I think I'm gonna flip. I think I'm gonna take Anthony Edwards over Shea. Yeah. Um, I think that I I could go either way, but like I just think that Ant's on another yeah, level I, right now. To me, like because that's why I brought up the tears. I think Anthony Edwards, Halliburton, and Shea are kind of all in this one A class right now, and you can rank any three of those guys in whichever order you want to rank them in, and I wouldn't be upset one way or the other. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. So you'd pick Tyrese at three, Beach? I think so. I think he's just insane. I mean, he is, like, he's playing, like, the modern Chris Paul, like when Chris Paul was back in his prime in New Orleans. He, he can score at will. He can knock down the three ball, and then he can give you 15 assists a night. I mean, he... He does everything you want a, a true point guard to do. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's my three. I like that. That's good. Kyle, anyone you'd put above Tyrese? Honestly, before the season, I would have put De'Aaron Fox over him. But the way that he's mm-hmm. played, he's just, like exactly what Beach said, like he's passing the ball better than pretty much anybody in the NBA right now. Um, yeah. So I think I'm going to I'm gonna have to agree with you, Beach. I'm going to put him at three. And then there's so my that fours. Would mean Fox Darren, for four? Fox. Yeah. yeah I, I think I'm fine with Darren Fox at four. He's, I think he's, that he's like just, 29 a game right now, man. Yeah, dude, he's good. Like he's he's really stepped into the alpha role there, and like that is his team. He can score the ball, mm-hmm. he can pass the ball, he can play defense, like at a pretty underrated clip. Like I don't there's not too many players in the NBA that are more well rounded, in my opinion, than Darren Fox right now. Yeah. No, yeah. That makes sense. I feel like these four guys, it's like, yeah, like you guys said, there's there's some wiggle room with the different options there, like who you could rank one through four and whatnot. You can make arguments. Uh, these next few guys, though, I think will be interesting. There'll probably be some um, opinions on the next. We got Lex, we got Darius Garland, Tyrese Maxey, LaMelo Ball, Kate Cunningham, John Morant, Des Bain, and Cam Thomas. So we're at five. You got one? You guys, who do you guys put at five? I, I know mine if you don't. Hot take up. Hot take. I'm but, putting Tyrese Maxey at five. Damn, that was my right. dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm putting him at five. Uh, there's just question marks around all the guys left outside of Darius Garland, but I'm just not as high on Darius Garland. Um, normally, I think I would put John Morant there, but he he's a head case, so I don't know what I'm going to get out of him. <laughs> when he's on the court, he's phenomenal, but off the court, I mean, he just wants to flash guns more than he wants to play in the NBA, it appears. So, uh <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at with him. Here comes speech with the Facebook collage. Oh no! <laughs> I have uh, I have right, my I have my five, six, and seven. So obviously five is Maxi. Mm-hmm. Six, I think is Darius Garland. Okay. Seven, I'm putting Lamelo Ball. All right. I'm still. I think. I, I go ahead. Go ahead, go. I was going to say right after that is where I'd put Ja. Like, I just – I think that his talent yeah. is 
insane. But like you said, like I think there's way more to being a good guard in the league than just talent, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I would still – I would probably put Ja at my six because he's mm-hmm. insane when he plays. Um, I get the whole off-the-court stuff. Like I just said, it's an issue, but his talent is undeniable when he's on the court, and we're seeing it now with how bad Memphis has looked without him. So mm-hmm. he would probably slot in my six, and then – um. I'd probably put LaMelo at seven. All right. Mm-hmm. So what about Garland, Beach? I know Kyle has Garland at six. Or are you I'd sticking put, him? I'd put Garland at eight. I like Garland, but he's not even the lead guard in his own backcourt, really, mm-hmm. um, considering that goes to Donovan Mitchell. So uh, phenomenal player, really talented. But I think just on this list, there are guys that are better than him. Yeah, that I, makes sense. Well, at least there's three. We got Cunningham, Bain, and Thomas. I can round it off. I think it's Cunningham, Cam Thomas, and Desmond Bain. I I do think that Desmond Bain is seriously underrated, but uh, I just think that Cam Thomas is just an automatic bucket. Bain's probably significantly better on the defensive end, but I just think that Cam Thomas' scoring ability is elite. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on what you need. I, I'm I'm in agreement that you'd put Kate Cunningham next. I still believe in the talent he has. He's just in an awful situation in Detroit. Um, personally, I'd probably put Bain above Cam Thomas just because mm. I think when you get to a playoff series, Desmond Bain is going to be the guy you want more often than not compared to Cam That's Thomas. Fair. Because fair. I, while Cam Thomas can score the ball, I don't think he's going to be a – like an A or B option in the NBA. Like, I just don't see that. Um, and so if that's the case and he's not your A or B, then he's playing as like a C or a D, and then that's just not really a great role for him. And that's like what we saw all of last year. Like, if he wasn't going to be the main two options to, to get the ball and score, then he really was ineffective. So at that point, I'd rather have Desmond Bain, which is why I put him above him. But just like Kyle said, Cam Thomas is a bucket. He's a really good player. Um but he kind of he kind of just scores the ball and that's about it. Which, hey, at the end of the day, it's about getting buckets, right? But um, I think in a playoff series, you need guys that will do more things. I think I'm yeah. just so biased because there's like very few things that I love more in this world than watching people make contested step back threes. And yes, that's yeah. what he does. It's funny, and it doesn't even look like he just he doesn't try and he doesn't care. He just does it, and it's. He's just so good at it. It's hilarious yeah. to watch him just run back on the court. He's like, oh, I did it again. <laughs> I think yeah. he's. I think his player comp would be, like, honestly, like a hybrid between J.R. Smith and Jamal Crawford, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I was going to – mine was like a Lou Williams type of thing. Ooh, yep. Just a guy that can come in, shoot the ball, get you buckets. Um, that that kind of seems to be where he would fall. But, I mean, if he keeps scoring at the clip he's going, I mean, he really could keep elevating himself up this list. But Yeah. Um, body of work, right? Like he's he's only really done it for a few games out of his NBA career so far. So I yeah. want to see more out of him. He feels like the kind of guy that comes out of the blue one year, just wins a scoring title, and then never really does anything again. Yeah, that's possible, so, but I don't think he's going to win a scoring title. Yeah, so we'll see. But so Beach, anyway, do you want to do you want to read Beach's eleven and mine in what order? Yeah, I'm going to read the. Read the. I'll read these lists here, round it out. They're surprisingly uh, fairly in agreement there. But Beach, we got Shea, we got Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, we got Darren Fox at four, Tyrese Maxey at five, John Morant, 
LaMelo Ball, Darius Garland. And rounding out, we got Cade Cunningham, uh, Desmond Bain, and Cam Thomas. As for mm. Kyle, he switched to top two. Anthony Edwards, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Tyrese Halliburton-Fox, and Maxi to follow uh, with Darius Garland, LaMelo Ball, John Moran at eight. And then he also has Cunningham, Thomas, and then Bain to round it out. So... I feel like those are good list boys. Anybody that you you guys think could maybe make the ascent into a top ten guard that's pretty young here, um, the next couple of years, or is that you guys feel like that's a pretty uh, good list overall? This is like just like young, like that's what we're saying, right? Just like under a certain age, I'm assuming. Yeah. I th- I think that yep. one that we probably could have had on this list is Jalen Brunson. I think that mm. he's he's that's been doing his, yeah he's been doing his thing in New York, man. Like. Him and Julius Randle yeah. are are they're solid. They're a solid duo, um, and yeah, I think that he he will probably continue to be above average to elite, depending on the, the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I think sure. out of this list, the ones that I'm just sold on elevating would just be that top three. Mm-hmm. I think you give it two years. Anthony Edwards and Shea and Tyrese are all in a, in the top ten guards. Yeah, and truthfully, they're pretty close to being there right now. Um, there's not too many guards I would take over them in the NBA. Um, they're all phenomenal players. They all get others involved, and I'm excited to see all these guys when they get in the playoffs and they really can make teams work. We saw it a little bit with Anthony Edwards last year and Shea kind of in the plan, um, but I'm waiting for for Reese to get in there too. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, I think Jalen Williams in Oklahoma City. When I'm watching him. He's, yeah. I think he's a guy who could sneak into like the lower end of that top ten um, as that OKC team continues to ascend. You know, they're they're a lot of fun. Um, actually, I didn't know this until the other day. I, like they traded Alperin Sengun to Houston for like another yeah. for, for first rounder. So like that's just I feel like that's going to be their rotation of like they have good players. They have the luxury of being able to trade good players for more first. So it's just going to be the cycle of never ending young talent to where they can they'll be good for a long time. Well, here's here's my issue because somebody was talking about this the other day and I tend to agree with them. They had the same thing with Russ, KD, Harden, Serge Ibaka and all these guys in Oklahoma City and everyone's like, "Oh, the Thunder are so young, they're so great. You know, they're going to be great for a long time, right?" And all it takes is one free agency for Shea to say, "Up, oh, I'm up and out of here." Mm. You know? And I'm not saying that he's going to do that or that 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 will for sure happen. But with the NBA and player movement at an all-time high and players more and more just forcing their ways to bigger markets or wherever they want to play with their their teams, you could see something like that happen. And then, yeah, Oklahoma City is in a great spot with a bunch of first-round draft picks, but you still have to hit on all those draft picks, and that's no guarantee either. So while they are in a very advantageous spot right now, they were in that same spot with those four guys, and they ended up with no rings and one finals appearance. So yeah. it's just one of those things like you never truly know how it's all going to fold um, and how it's all going to work out. And that's, that's what makes the NBA so fun. Yeah. I also think that no, like, that makes it, sense. they're kind of in a, not scary is not the right word, but they're in a really, they're in a predicament, I think, because when all of these players come off of their rookie contracts, they're either going to have to pay them what they're worth or let them walk. Or trade them. Yeah. yeah or we'll trade get rid of them. And then you just do the same thing over and over. And like right now, like with the salary cap is like 140 million or something. And if you're paying Shea like $50 million a year, he's getting paid a third of your 
like salary cap for the year. And then you have to figure out what to do with the 15 other first round picks that you have. Like, I think that they're kind of in a tough spot because there's a lot of proven talent on that team. Yeah. I will yeah. say like, uh, this is going to sound, I'm going to completely nerd out here, but with that whole second apron that's been introduced and, you know, teams talking about that, having that many first round picks where they can kind of do kind of what the Denver Nuggets did, where they just draft these young guys, they build them up into rotation players, and then they let them walk in free agency when they get a, a massive contract from a, a worse team. That That's the position they're going to find themselves in. Yep. Now it's just it's whether or not they hit on those draft picks and, and whether or not Sam Presti can can deliver that. Yeah, it's a great It'll problem. be interesting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, the one thing that I do think also that going for them, right, you, like you said, you have to hit on the draft picks, but like that's something they've done pretty historically for the past mm-hmm. 10, 15 years is hit on draft picks. That's one thing yep. the Thunder have done. Um, so that's probably why they trusted this 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 idea where it's like we we scout well. Let's yep. just load up. So, yeah. Yeah. But, well, that is uh, that is our NBA talk for today. Let's dive into some NFL stuff here, boys. Um, first things first, the Steelers fired Matt Canada. I know lots of Pittsburgh fans are pretty happy about that. Um, but it just doesn't matter because Kenny Pickett is terrible. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe, maybe that, maybe they can, you know, get, get Warren a little bit more involved and not just run go routes with George Pickens and, and whatnot. But at the same time, like, um, Kenny Pickett limits that offense so much. So again, sorry, Pittsburgh fans. Yeah. You're probably going to make the playoffs, but it doesn't matter. This is a bingo, but it reminds me of when the Cardinals fired Mike McCoy halfway through the season and everyone was so excited. <laughs> that and is a bingo. We looked at it and we're still like, oh, wait, we still have a horrible roster with Josh Rosen as our quarterback. Like, this offense isn't going anywhere. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I feel like that just happened in Pittsburgh. Everyone's like, oh, we got rid of Matt Canada. The problem solved. And they're like, wait a minute. There's still a lot more issues here than just that. Yeah. I respect some Pittsburgh Steelers fans, man. I saw this tweet of this guy. He was like, Super stoked that fired Canada, and then he went on to say, like, he's like, and, and it's like, and I would still take Kenny Pickett or uh, Kenny Pickett over CJ Stroud if we had to pick today. And I'm like, no, you, no, you wouldn't. Man. Like, <laughs> I, under, I, res- I respect oh, your commitment, man. but dude, come on, like, they are they're probably a, the two or three seed, probably the one seed if we're being honest <laughs> with Stroud, man. Um, so it's just, yeah, there's just as long as they have Kenny Pickett there, he's just so. Uh, limited as a quarterback. Um, they're not going to be a very good team. Yeah. I've never been that loyal to any of any player on any of the teams that I've loved. I Actually, yeah, like that's that is delusion. Yeah. Like I have been delusional enough to convince myself that it could work, but then when it doesn't work, I have been rational enough to say we need to change, not yeah. not stick with it. Dude, I I argued um, with myself for three to five years that Jared Goff was the answer. And then when I arrived that he was not the answer, I openly hated on him on every social media post I could possibly hate on him. That you did. That you did. Uh, next thing is the Browns have signed an elite quarterback. Joe oh. Flacco. Joe Flacco is now a Brown. Come on now. Uh, I have a question oh, for you guys. I mean, the Browns are what seven and three, something like that. Yes, he's elite. Um, they're they're in, they're in position to to make a playoff run here with a crazy defense, a good run game. Does Flacco better their shots at a no at a playoff run than DTR at all, or is it are they the same? I think Flacco's worse. 
I <laughs> I love I love that Joe Flacco. I I truly do believe that Joe Flacco was an elite quarterback. I'll die on that hill. But that was like a million years ago, and I don't think that he's going to do anything for them. I think that DTR could low key be a game manager plus like a an above average game manager and take them to maybe even a playoff victory. But I just don't really. I feel like they're doomed. Kyle, I'm gonna I'm gonna push I'm gonna push you back for a minute there. You said you'll die on the hill of Flacco being an elite quarterback. Dude, he is elite. We need to have this conversation. Oh no, boy, not what? now. He is what? elite. Oh, we need to have this conversation. Why is Joe Flacco an elite quarterback? Joe what Flacco made him elite. Joe Flacco is overhated because of his defense. His defense is insane. Okay. I will mm-hmm. say. I mean, I don't. I'm not Joe Hendry. I don't have stats off the top of my head. I couldn't tell you his QBR <laughs> in 2011. I couldn't. So I don't have I don't have data for you. But uh-huh. when like throughout that mid 2000s, like the Ravens were always there. Like you can't always be there and have consistently not good quarterback play. Like there's mm-hmm. yeah. Like I just don't. I don't think that. I don't think that he gets enough credit for those Ravens teams. Like he, mm-hmm. yeah, he's not spectacular in terms of like the talent. His last name is Flacco. His first name is Joe. Like that's <laughs> the worst first name ever. Um, but like, I just, I just think that he was, he was not super flashy, but he's going to put the ball in the right spots. He was going to keep the defense honest and like for the most part, even if like the defense was undoubtedly the better side of the ball, like he was massively important to those those Ravens teams. Mm-hmm. I think what you're describing is Brock Purdy. No, yes, no, thousand percent what you're describing, man. Brock Purdy had 158.3 <laughs> quarterback rating last week. Um, all I'm saying is that a quarterback that topped out. In a in a passing era with twenty seven touchdown passes, there we go, forty three hundred forty three hundred <laughs> yards, and didn't even a, a, approach sixty two percent completion percentage for his career is not elite. That's all I got to say. I will say, like you said, he did not get enough credit for those teams. He was very good for those teams, but Joe Flacco was never elite. And I will die on that hill. No way, dude. Dude, okay, <laughs> I'm I'm pulling up stats now. Let's in in twenty thirteen. This is one game, but in 2013, Mm -hmm. Joe Flacco and the Ravens defeated Tom Brady and the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, Mm -hmm. 28 to 13, Mm -hmm. and where Flacco threw three touchdowns and over 200 Mm -hmm. yards. Like, I understand that he's not the most flashy, fantastic 400 yards like threat every single game that he steps into, but that is Mm -hmm. you have to be you have to be good. To beat mm-hmm. the Patriots no, in 2013. I'm not I think he is... was a good quarterback. He was a good quarterback. Dude, he's elite. I would take. I would probably take Flacco over Eli. Yeah, I would do and that, he... and because I don't think Eli was an elite quarterback. But that's. But I'm saying that the more of the general public thinks that Eli Manning is elite than the general public thinks Joe Flacco is elite, and I think that's the yeah, issue for sure. Which, which is, yeah, Eli. Eli was an above-average quarterback, and I think Joe Flacco was an even more above-average quarterback. 
So here's a question. If you were to switch Joe Flacco with Eli Manning, mm. how many Super Bowls would the Giants win and how many Super Bowls would the Ravens win? I'd probably say the exact same amount. <laughs> like, I don't see anything changing. Because, like, again, this, both those teams were, like, Super Bowl winning teams for the Giants and Ravens were won by their defenses mm-hmm. and, a, and a player that got hot. Like, that playoff run by Flacco where they won that um, that Super Bowl was awesome. He plays super good. I mean, dude, I, his arm strength was always something underrated. Um, but I think I think they win the same thing. I think that defense carries that, that team to a title. I think Flacco could have got hot a couple times. I don't see anything changing. Mm. That's a good question, Beach. I I don't know. I think that it would probably be similar. Like whatever I say, like maybe the scale is slightly better one way or the other. Um, yeah. But I I personally I think that Joe Flacco is better is a better quarterback than Eli Manning, and I don't know if I have any statistical legs to stand on. I'm sure Joe will call me out if I don't. But I, I, I think that he was better. Like I would rather have Joe Flacco on my team than I would Eli Manning. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. I think my whole base for asking that question is just that since Joe Flacco had to deal with Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and in those years in, in the AFC where they were just competing to see who would go to the Super Bowl, basically, if he is in the NFC with a team like the Giants who still have a great defense like does he elevate them to the point where their offense is now not as good as their defense, but it's almost matching that level? And do they just start winning even more Super Bowls because the NFC was weaker at that point, right? That's so a great that would have been interesting to see. Because yeah. I'm trying to think of the NFC quarterbacks that were at that time. and I mean, I can't think of anyone that was really like outstanding um, outside of like Aaron Rodgers was coming up at that point. Um, you had Probably Donovan Breeze. McNabb. Breeze was at that point as well early in his career. So it, it was just would be interesting to see, but obviously that's a what if question, so we'll never see it, but fun to yeah. talk about nonetheless. hundred percent. Here's a here's a what if question though, moving on. Um Cam Newton claims that he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. I want to know you guys' thoughts on that. Is Cam Newton delusional or is he deserving of the Hall of Fame? Beach. Oh man. Uh I'm not going to put him in the Hall of Fame. I'd have to look at more stats. Um just like Kyle said, I'm not Joe Hendry with the stats off the top of my head. <laughs> I will say like just as a pure rushing quarterback, like he's probably the greatest rushing quarterback the NFL's seen. So if you want to make a case for him to go into the Hall of Fame just based on those numbers and that MVP season he had, I think you can make a compelling case, but I mean he didn't win a championship. He only really had that one great playoff run. Um, and his peak was just significantly lower than what I think of for a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think of a Hall of Fame quarterback lasting, you know, seven, eight, you know, years at their peak, whereas his peak was about three to four years, really. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what your guys' cases are. But yeah, I don't think I'd put him in. I think that I think that he changed the game. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's in the Hall of Fame. Like, yeah, I think I think that he will. Like, nobody's gonna forget about Cam Newton. Like, mm-hmm. same. I think it's like the same thing well, he, is he won't let he won't let people forget about him. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I just don't think like if you're a Hall of Fame quarterback, 
Like you got to get it done in the bowl, I think. And especially because he got there, like you can, there's a lot of people in the hall of fame that didn't win like super bowl rings and quarterbacks that are in the hall of fame that didn't win super bowl rings. But like, I think that in order to be in the hall of fame, like there's gotta be a level of consistency. And there's also like when you get to the biggest stage, like you have to perform and yeah, like he did it. You can't have your lasting image in a Super Bowl be you not jumping on top of a fumble. Yeah. Kind of just shying away and the Broncos recovering it. Like that's what I remember from him in that Super Bowl. Um, which is unfortunate because like the, he had a great season. I think they were fifteen and one that year. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget watching them steamroll the Cardinals out of the NFC championship. Like they were incredible and they were a juggernaut, but that I will never forget that image of him putting his hand down into that fumble and then just pulling out at the last second and being like, I don't want to jump on top of that. Um, Whether that's harsh or not, I I don't know. But just like Kyle said, for a Hall of Fame quarterback, you got to have some lasting playoff moments. And I just don't feel like he had enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I think Kyle makes a great point. Cam Cam Newton changed the game. And that will forever be remembered. Um, But I don't think changing the game... I don't know if that's enough to be like considered Hall of Fame worthy. Like he had great stats, and like you said, Beach's peak was his peak was short lived, um, and he was. I mean, he was one of the most physically dominating quarterbacks we've ever seen. Just like size and his rushing ability, um, like that. Yeah, that MVP season. I think he put up like forty five total touchdowns. You know, mm-hmm. for 4,500 yards or something like that, fifteen and one. But um, he just didn't do it for a long enough period of time in truly dominant fashion. Um, but props to him. He he's he's in the hall of very good for sure. Oh, a hundred percent. So it's an interesting one though. It's just obviously he's gonna he's gonna claim that. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see and see if the voters think that changing the game is enough um, yeah. to get him in. But yeah. Kyle, Kyle, you were gonna say something. Yeah, sorry, I'm lagging. But um, I was going to say that I think that as much as it's painful to give him this comp, like the only other player that's like kind of had a similar impact would have been like Mike Vick. Mike Vick absolutely changed the game. Mm -hmm. And I know his whole scandal is probably like the main reason why he didn't make the Hall of Fame, maybe outside of, you know, him. Well, he missed his prime years. Um, but yeah, like it's, I think it's kind of like the same concept, like Mike Vick at the end of the day, he was like, he was only like a three or four time pro bowler, but like everybody knows who Mike Vick was because he completely changed the game. And like Mm -hmm. Cam, Cam Newton at the end of the day, he had like a four to five year peak and really like one to two years that just absolutely stand out. But other than that, it's like, you know. How can you how can you be in the Hall of Fame for that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, moving on to our last part in the NFL, I am going to use this time to once again bring up Justin Herbert. Um, oh my gosh! Um, I'm going to bring right. up the slander that he gets, man. It how unwarranted and undeserved it is. Um, <laughs> but actually, take a little bit of a different different approach. I think the I think the drop for Johnston might actually be good. Might be good for him in 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 that sense where um being just being on social media and stuff i think people that i consistently see hate on herbert are 
for the first time, I think they kind of saw that like that wasn't the issue in that game. Um, I even I've even seen several several Dolphins fans who Chargers fans have had a large feud for the past two years um, openly admit right that they they just couldn't keep the troll up this week after that after that Johnston drop. Um, so, but yeah, it's it's uh it's good to maybe see maybe see a shift a little bit of like. Herbert is not the problem. Um, you know, that there's there's a lot more to the situation, a lot more context, and that he is truly, in fact, in, in the elite company of, of, of his position in the NFL. Um, so well, I'm curious to see how, uh, how if that changes at all. Um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on, on that game or, or on her at all. I have, well, a, I have a question. Joe and I, go ahead, Beach. I was just going to ask you, just on the light of the Johnston drop, do you think he's salvageable, or do you think that he's just a bust? I think he's salvageable. I think I think he has more things going against him than not. Um, I mean, Johnston came into out of the the four main receiver prospects, he came in as for sure the the most raw one. I mean, he's huge. He's very fast. I know a lot. There were a lot of Mike Williams comps. Um, which I don't think were entirely accurate because they play the game a very different way. He's just big mm-hmm. and has dreads. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, I think he's salvageable. I think that there's a situation that had a big de- thing to do with it. Like Johnson came into the season as the wide receiver four, um, right? Addison was the two, Flowers was the one. I mean, JSN started off rough and he was the three, you know? So situation yeah. has a big thing to do with it with confidence. Um, you know, I think there, I think some, some coaching could help him out. Um, that being said, right, it, it does not bode well for receivers to who suck this bad in their first year to play better. Um, that being said, people are, forget that Mike Williams had 11 receptions for 95 yards his rookie year. He scored 10 touchdowns the next season and won for a thousand the year after that. So it's it's salvageable. Uh, the good thing is he has a he has a good quarterback throwing him the ball, which always helps the receiver. Who? Um, <laughs> Justin Herbert, Kyle. Oh, sorry. Um, I also do think there's an aspect of like your Jamar Chases, your Garrett Wilsons, your Justin Jeffersons, like the idea of a rookie receiver coming in and dominating that much was rare. I think before the last several years, I mean, you had like Andre Johnson, you had Anquan Bolden, guys like that come in um, and, and do very well. But before the past five years or so, rookie receivers did not come in and dominate as they did. I think coaches are changing a little bit more to where they play their talent over just their entrenched veterans. But um, so I think there's still, there's still time for him to be salvaged, but it's not looking great. If, if we're being honest, what do you have to say though? So I, uh, Joe, I know we talked about this, but the way Justin Herbert gets slandered reminds me a lot of Devin Booker when he was coming oh, up. My. <laughs> Kyle, we were, we warned you about this. I don't so, even want you to finish that statement. Uh, <laughs> Well, just uh, sit back and uh, just let me ramble for five minutes. So Joe and I have been talking about this a lot where, for whatever reason, both of our young favorite players have just been slandered on Twitter um, and all its forms of social media for really no apparent reason, right? Like each one has come into their situations, taken a historically, well, I don't want to say historically in the Suns case necessarily, but a franchise that was losing, you know, in the past 10 years that hasn't really had as much success. Right. Um, and the chargers, you know, after Phillip rivers had kind of retired, they were looking for that next guy to come in. So they were in a, a bit of a, a bridge area as well. 
And all they've done is taken that franchise, made it better than when they, they first came in. They've become the franchise players. They're the face of a city in most cases. You know, I know Herbert's got LA, but, you know, they're definitely the face of their franchise, and yet people just seem to hate them. And the only thing I can really pinpoint it to is that fans love young and upcoming players when they don't view them as a threat. But as soon mm. as they start viewing these players that, oh my gosh, these guys are actually like talented, I view them as a threat, then that when, that's when they become defensive and they're like, oh, they're not as good as this guy or they're not as good as this guy, right? And so I think that's why, just like Joe, we've talked about like every young quarterback that comes in the NFL, instant comparison is, is he better than Justin Herbert? Same thing with the with the NBA. Every young guard that's up and coming is, oh, is he better than Devin Booker? Now, Devin Booker has elevated himself out of a lot of those conversations. Um, and I think Justin Herbert's going to continue to elevate himself where he's not getting compared to, you know, the rookie quarterbacks that are coming in or the second-year guys. He's going to start getting compared to the Mahomes, the Allens, you know, the elite of the elite, right? But it, it is interesting to me that these two guys that are – for you know, stars from small market franchises are just hated on for really no apparent reason. Beach, I'm I'm trying to read between the lines of the whole Devin Booker propaganda, but you actually bring up a really interesting um, point that I think that we don't talk about in sports enough. And it's like there's a level, uh, like I'll use an example: Austin Reeves when he yeah. when he was coming up. And he was like, you know, doing his things for 10, 15 points a night. Everyone's like, oh, like Austin Reeves is sick. Like he's good. And then like after he's doing it pretty consistently and, you know, he, he goes off for like 31 game and somebody says something of like, oh, my gosh, is Austin Reeves better than X? Then he's yes. immediately hated on. And they're like, yeah. well, no chance that he could be as good. And now, like every time that Austin Reeves does anything. It's like, oh, Reeves report, like, oh, this guy sucks. Like, you know what? He's immediately overhated. And there's like, mm -hmm. I think it's just like, it's one of my least favorite things about sports, but yeah. it's like almost a necessary evil for like a mm -hmm. good young player to go through um, in order to reach that level. Like, I remember people saying the same thing about Damian Lillard. I remember, yeah. I remember people mm -hmm. saying the same thing about Joe Burrow. I remember people yeah. saying the same thing about like pretty much anybody that's like at the prime of their career, like when they're coming yeah. up, they just get for some reason when they're breaking through that next level, they're just getting eviscerated like by mm -hmm. the public. Yeah. Yeah. And truthfully, the, the way it seems is the only way to change that is you win a championship mm -hmm. and then people start loving you again and you kind of turn that corner. I know just from being a, you know, Devin Booker and a Phoenix Suns fan, like when he scored 70 in Boston, that was the turning point because up until then it was like, oh, he's a good young player. He's scoring 30. You know, he's having these nice games. But then as soon as he scored 70, that became the this is the most time. This is the most amount of points scored since Kobe Bryant. You know, is he going to mm -hmm. become this like Kobe Bryant, like elevation type of thing? Yeah. And so as soon as that happened, that's when you had the other you know fan bases being like, oh, they'll never be Kobe Bryant. And I completely agree with that. Right. Like he's not Kobe Bryant. But as soon as those comparisons started, that's when the hate started to, to really become prevalent. So I, yeah. I'm curious, Joe, what's what's the moment you think that that oh, could be for Justin Herbert? It's super easy to see. Like it was the 20. It was like the 2021 is a three game stretch, right? Where um, where we beat Kansas City, we beat the Ravens, and then we beat I'm not sorry, the Ravens, the Raiders, and then the Browns. Where Herbert um, for those three games he threw for um, he averaged 300 yards a game, and he threw 11 touchdowns and no picks. 
Uh, especially when we beat the Chiefs yeah. over that three game period. There was that it was that I remember watching that game with you, Kyle. It was the the Browns, yeah. like that shootout, right? Yeah. Um it was after the rookie year, and all of a sudden Herbert was getting is he better than Mahomes? Right. And immediately he gets ruined, right? And then last year he breaks his ribs and has a subpar season by by his standards, again, a third year player, um, throwing five thousand twenty five touchdowns. Um, and immediately he's He's the problem. He's not a winner. He's it's this and that, right? He's not better. He's not even top 10, all this stuff. Um, so it's, it's fascinating to see, um, to see how, how all that goes, the comparisons and then how the idea of recency bias really falls into that as well. Um, and just in comparisons and whatnot. So I, I think those are some really interesting points for sure. I love that. Look at us sports psychologists. <laughs> that's good anything else in the nfl fellas go rams go go go, go chargers um well before we before we kick it off or uh, finish up here uh, a couple things in the mlb the padres hired mike schilt finally we have a manager a uh, former cardinals manager led them to uh, i think it's like three or four playoff bursts in four years so i'm super excited about that um and then today d traded for third baseman eugenio suarez um to shore up the black hole that was third base for the D-backs this year. Uh, Beach, I know you're pretty excited about that. Obviously, he's big strikeout guy, but big power numbers. Almost at 50 a couple of years back in Cincinnati. I think you can expect a solid 30 um, while hitting probably about 240. So that'll be a big help, I think. Yeah, definitely. And we didn't give up a whole lot. So even if he struggles again and has these big strikeout numbers, it really can't be worse than the guys they were throwing out there last year. So oh, yeah. if this is a guy that you can start for 150 games and he can really lock down that third base spot and just like you said, give you some power. That's all you need. Yeah. He's got some clutch in him too. I know Seattle fans weren't uh, super thrilled about about giving him up. Uh, they, they really yeah, like Seattle's Mr. Seattle's got to hate trading with us. They've given up a lot yeah, of good do. talent to us. Mr. Seawold. Mr. Seawold. Shout out Jordan Marte. Shout out Jordan. Yeah, they've given us Seawold, Marte, and now uh, Eugenio Suarez. So. Kyle, can you Beach. can you tell that story about Mr. Seawald real quick? Yeah, I sure can. Um, <laughs> this is one of this is probably one of the the hardest that I've laughed in watching sports. But um, I'm watching baseball, which is a rare occurrence. I'm watching the Diamondbacks in the playoffs, and it's like a close game. My fiance Jordan, who literally knows nothing about sports, um. <laughs> uh Paul Seawald throws a strikeout and I go like let's go Seawald or something and our, I think I actually said big ball Seawald or something and <laughs> and she goes Mr. Seawald and, <laughs> and I said what Mr. Seawald and she goes yeah <laughs> my teacher in high school is that Paul Seawald <laughs> I'm like what and I'm like in denial. There's no way that this is the same person. So she goes and she's like, no, like he's from Las Vegas. Like, and I was like, there's no way that you know this. So I Google him. He went to the same high school that she went to and was a substitute teacher for a few years at her high school while he was trying to make it in the like, which is like the sickest thing ever to me that my fiance was in the classroom with big balls, Paul Seawald. 
That is that is just an incredible story, man. Oh man, <laughs> I've ever seen that. Time, I was like, there is no way. I was I was scared oh, to watch man. sports with her. I thought that she was going to be like, oh my gosh, is that Saquon? <laughs> we used to date. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a moment of silence for oh, Kyle. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. You guys got anything else? No. Happy uh, Thanksgiving, big game everyone. Saturday. Yeah, outside of that. Arizona Saturday? I hate ASU. Bear down, no baby. No kitty to kitty this year. Let's get a win. I, will, I want it to be 100 to 3. I want to. I just want to beat the brakes off those guys. If I know, beat them I know 100 to 3. in his spare time. Oh, no. What Go does he it, do? Yeah. No, I was just going to say, Beach in his spare time leading up to this game was just staring at the billboard. <laughs> That's 100% That's all the motivation we need. He's just like locked in on the billboard. I hate that billboard. <laughs> I hate that billboard too. I'm gonna pay for our own billboard. No, you're not. Kyle, you're gonna say something. I was gonna say if they if we beat ASU 100 to three, not only are we gonna get a billboard, but we will be a top 10 team in the country. That's that would be yes. amazing. We're going Let's to go playoffs. Let's We're go. going go to the, Oregon the State. Playoff. Go Oregon State. Yes. Yes, Huge sir. Oregon State fans. Let's go Beavs. Uh, but yeah, should be should be a good week, good week of football. We do we got football tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Man, this is going to be a electric. wonderful run for the fellas. Electric. But all right, with that, that'll be uh, that'll be it for us today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, super thankful for all our listeners. Uh, shout out to every single one of you. Um, you can find us on Instagram, on X, on YouTube, and TikTok at That's Bingo Pod for some more. Uh, we will see you next time. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Shout out, Mr. Seawald. Peace.